Good morning. I have a bunch of different stuff I want to just go over this morning. And I, I just want to start off with really one of the last um, scriptures I had on slide nine. It's about your measure. And it's a scripture I think I gave you last week, you know, talking about our measure. And that's that portion that God gives us as a spiritual gift and the things that he wants us to use. Ephesians 4:15 and 16 out of the just the King James Paul wrote by speaking the truth in love we may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ from Jesus the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love and so I, I think it's such a, a major thing that we all have a measure, but I think part of the biggest problem is us coming together. And I love how Dean shared today because in there was talking about our heart. Wherever our heart is or wherever we're not able to trust, you know, it puts a big separation from us moving together so that we're using our measures so that the whole body is benefiting. And I think even how this church was established that God said he wanted to heal brokenness. He wanted to heal the places people have been deeply wounded and traumatized in their life, whether it's things that have been done to them, mistakes that they have made, or just things that happen in life. And also the spiritual atmosphere that goes on in the times that we live in. And so, you know, we've been talking about uh, real life, real people on Thursday night, Thrive Nights, and we've had some great testimonies of people's lives who've been changed. And if you weren't here Wednesday, I mean, I, I just love Mitchell Vasquez, how he shared his life. The longer you stay in a church, the longer you keep yourself committed and uh, on God's path, you begin to see how God changes lives. And for me, Mitchell's been a, a great transformation of a life, and it hasn't happened overnight. But it brings great faith to us when we see each other and our lives are changing. And we begin to draw and have a trust in what God's doing because we see our lives being transformed. It doesn't mean we're perfect, and, and often because we're imperfect, uh, we're afraid to share ourselves, or because we see the imperfections in each other, we don't want to get close to people. But for us to experience the power of who God has made us to be in Christ, we've got to keep moving together. We've got to keep ass assaulting that wall of trust which the Holy Spirit wants to, to work it. I don't think we can make ourselves trust anybody, but I know it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And Jerry, I just love the way you shared about Joseph last week. It was incredible how you made it uh, historical, but you made it today in our language. The things that you added to the story were, were awesome. And I want to continue some thoughts about Joseph today because Joseph also is an example of how God uses circumstances for him to and his gifts to save a whole nation. And yet we saw the woundedness that happened in Joseph's own life by the betrayal of his brothers, being sold as a slave into Egypt, going to prison, being falsely accused, all those things that, that were created and did good, but also they affected his heart and they affected his ability to trust. I want to read a few different sections in this book uh, that Max Lucado, he's so good about taking scriptures and writing it in a way that makes it so much more real and it cuts right deep to the heart. And he's talking about um, Joseph. And you know, after a few years, uh, Joseph has these two sons, Manasseh 
meaning God has made me to forget, and Ephraim, uh, meaning mean God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so he, he kind of does this thing. Oh, here's my, my two sons. Oh, here's Manasseh. God has made me to forget my past. So every time he said Manasseh's name, it was, a, it was a, something that resonated in his mind in his heart that God has made me to forget my past, my pain. What, is, what has marked me for evil? What has caused such great distrust and caused me to put up such great walls against people and God? And then every time he said Manasseh, I mean Ephraim, God has made me to, for, to forget I mean, God has made to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So those two names, every time he, he just says it, every time he said it. Let me introduce you, my sons, Joseph would tell him. Come here, God me, made me forget, and God made me fruitful. Where did I get these names? Well, have a seat, and I'll tell you the story. You know, it's just kind of that thing where something is resonating. He's looking at one thing, but really he's not dealing with, with, his, with his whole past. Initially, Joseph chose not to face his past. By the time he saw his brothers again, Joseph had been prime minister for nearly a decade. He wore a chain of gold eagles on his neck. He bore the king's seal on his hand. The blood, bede be the blood bedabbled cost of colors had been replaced with the royal robes of a king. The kid from Canaan had come a long way. Joseph could travel anywhere he wanted, yet he chose not to return to Canaan. Interesting, I never thought about that. You know, he was rejected by his father and his family, but he never went back to check on his dad. Assemble an army and settle the score with his brothers. He had the resources. Send for his father, or at least send him a message. He'd had perhaps eight years to set the record straight. He knew where to find his family, but he chose not to contact them. He kept family secrets a secret. Untouched and untreated, Joseph was content to leave his past in the past. But God was not. Restoration matters to God. The healing of the heart involves the healing of the past. So God shook things up. You know, hard as so to see people grow and be healed. There's so many broken people in our world. There's so many broken people in this church. And God wants to do a deep work. But he's going to also do some things that are scary. He's going to trigger our past. This process of forgiving, and when Joseph began to dig around his past, it was going to take some time. Isn't it interesting? What would have happened if Joseph's brothers never would have had to come back to Egypt for food? We see how God orchestrates, orchestrates um, restoration of relationships. We would just say, forget it. I'm just going to live my own life, and I'm going to live it different. But God seems to cause an intersection of those people or, or maybe even just triggering someone from your past so that you can really have reconciliation in your heart. The process would prove to be long and difficult. It occupies four chapters of the Bible and at least a year on the calendar. 
But Joseph took the first step, a cautious, hesitant one, but a step nonetheless. Joseph's brothers had come for food this first time around. And so all those memories, all those feelings about his brothers got triggered. After three, and he threw those, those brothers in, in jail. So obviously, even though he said, God has made me to forget my, my trials in, in the land of, of affliction, obviously his brothers coming back triggered his heart. After three days, Joseph released his brothers from jail. He played the rough guy again. Go on, scoot back to whatever it was you come from. Kansas, Colorado, no, Canaan. Go on back. But I want you to see, I want to see this kid brother of yours you talked about. I'll keep one of you as a guarantee. They agreed and then right in front of Joseph rehearsed the day that they dry gulched him. They said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. That's uh, Genesis 42:21. Again, they did not know that the prince understood Hebrew, but he did. And when he heard the words, Joseph turned away so that they couldn't see his eyes fill with tears. He didn't speak for a few moments, lest the lump in his throat turn into the sobs unbecoming of a tough official. He stepped into the shadows and wept. He did this seven more times. He didn't cry when he was pronounced by Potiphar or crowned by Pharaoh, but he blubbered like a baby when he learned that his brothers hadn't forgotten him after all. When he sent them back to Canaan, he loaded their saddlebags with grain. A moment of grace. With that small act, healing stirred, and it started. If God healed that family, who's to say he won't heal yours? I can't, I'm, my, I'm my blubber and I can't read. A while later, another trip to Egypt. They need some more food. You might say that Joseph is at war inside of himself. He hadn't forgotten all those triggers, those past pain were, were happening. The brothers returned to Egypt from Canaan, Benjamin in tow. Joseph invited them to a dinner. He asked about Jacob, spotted Benjamin, and all but came undone. God be gracious to you, my son, he said to Benjamin. And he blurred before he hurried out of the room to weep. Genesis 43:29. He returned to eat and drink and make merry with his brothers. And Joseph sat according to birth order. 
he singled out Benjamin for special treatment. Every time the brothers got one helping, Benjamin got five more. They noticed this but said nothing. Joseph loaded their sacks with food and his, his personal cup in a sack of Benjamin. The brothers were barely down the road when Joseph's steward stopped their caravan, searched their sacks, and found the cup. The brothers tore their clothes, the ancient equivalent of pulling out one's hair, and soon found themselves back in front of Joseph, fearing for their lives. Joseph couldn't make up his mind. We welcomed them, wept over them, ate with them, and then played a trick on them. He was at war within himself. These brothers had peeled the scab off his oldest and deepest wound, and he would be hanged before he'd ever let them do it again. On the other hand, these were his brothers, and he would be hanged before he'd lose them again. Forgiveness vacillates like this. It has fits and starts, good days and bad, anger intermingled with love, irregular mercy. We make progress only to make a wrong turn, to step forward and fall back. But this is okay. When it comes to forgiveness, all of us are beginners. No one owns a secret formula. As long as you are trying to forgive, you are forgiving. It's when you no longer try that bitterness sets in. I think of God's ways being so much higher than ours when I think about how Paul, before he became Paul, and the great man we know him to be who wrote the Bible that we're always quoting scriptures over and after every week. But when he was Saul, he was persecuting the church. He was beating people, women included, because they were Christians, hauling some into prison and confirming others to be put to death. And yet, God had this great plan for Saul, who he renamed Paul. And so we see a body of Christ, a, a new church just being launched by the apostles, and we see someone destroying it. And yet, in the wisdom and love of God, we see a man turn to be one who's on the side of the Christian and who will face the same kind of uh, beatings and imprisonments and rejection that he gave to other Christians. And I think it's a picture for all of us to recognize that our God, he wants reconciliation, he wants to restore trust, he wants to restore love, but it doesn't make sense to a heart that can be wounded and to a soul that can be damaged and to have pain that comes up before you and says, you can't trust that person. They might hurt you. Those of us who are um, really committed and have been serving God, we often get overwhelmed by just the, I guess, the tensions of being a Christian and standing there so other people can have a place to gather. It's a spiritual war against our own soul to keep up the faith, to keep saying the right thing, to keep trying to have an open heart when sometimes you get hurt yourself. But it's a work that we're all called to. In uh, my message today, uh, under number two, I have preparing for spiritual 
for the spiritual. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul wrote, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Again, he's reminding us the household of faith is a, is a place where we've got to watch our attitude and how we can affect others. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That we're called to be light. We're called not to grumble or be harsh with each other because we're all in process and we're all in progress. And if we're treating each other right, we're going to continue to develop and, and, pre and create and have an atmosphere that's going to be conducive to trust. But it's only by the grace of God that we're going to be able to trust and be trusted. Again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit because He's healing and restoring us. And yes, He may be bringing us back to those places that we've been betrayed, but it's only so we can have the healing and that we can have regained and restored trust. But obviously, we're in the middle of a perverted generation. Immorality, lust, loss, wickedness, you name it. Distrust. We hear it every day. Betrayal. Someone murders their spouse. Someone murders their best friend. It's constantly in the news. Young people preparing to go shoot other people at school. It's a perverse and wicked generation. And because we live in this generation, there's a tendency for our heart to withdraw even more. Who can we trust? No one's trustworthy. They're trying to profile who the shooters are and who, who the bad people are. And then we, ha we have a, a, a fireman, a fire chief, just over in the valley there, kills someone in his family. It's sin in the heart of man. No one can be trusted. We can only build trust by building our relationship in Christ, by strengthening each other, by encouraging each other, by sharing each other's burdens, by helping each other overcome the fears and the doubts, like sharing our stories like we do when we hear where someone's come from and we see where they're at now and we know we can trust people. Why? Because God is at work transforming their lives and changing them. Maybe someone can turn the air conditioner on. I see a lot of fans going. That verse said that we were supposed to shine as lights in the world. In Luke eleven thirty three through 36, you might be familiar with this parable. Jesus said, and he had this written, that no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or a crypt or under a bushel measure, but on a lampstand, that, it, that those who are coming in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye, your conscience, is sound and fulfilling its office, your whole body is full of light. But when it is not sound and it is not fulfilling its office, your body is full of darkness. So here we have that parable explained that the eye, when it's talking about the eye being the lamp, it's about our conscience. And we know that when we ask Jesus Christ to come into our life, except what Jesus did by dying for our sins, our spirit is made alive. So our conscience awakens. That place in which we hear from God, that place where, where we are being able to hear those messages and take the word of God and be changed and transformed. So the eye is representing our new nature, our spirit made alive in Jesus Christ. 
And so that's where the, our light shines. And as we take in the Word of God, and especially as we see about our character and nature, we realize the places where our heart is dark, or we realize the places that we have unforgiveness or mistrust. And it's not to beat ourselves up, but to keep surrendering and believing that, yes, you are with me, Lord, and you, Holy Spirit, who lives inside of me, you're the one that's going to help me begin to trust again. You're going to heal my trust issues. You're going to restore me to a place where people are going to be able to be healed because I am getting healed. And because I'm learning to trust and I'm extending myself to other people, they're receiving the same grace and mercy and the ability to trust themselves. Verse 35 says, Be careful, therefore, that the light that is in you is not darkness. Again, sometimes we hide or close off those places of shame, those places of guilt, those places that are not quite healed yet. But Jesus invites us to bring them into the light so the Holy Spirit can deal with them. So trust can come into those areas where we don't feel like trust. And it's okay to say, God, God, I don't trust. I'm scared to trust. I don't want to trust. But let him keep working. Again, he's the one that restores the trust. He's the one that does the work. Verse 36 says, If then your entire body is illuminated, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright with light. And when a lamp with, with its bright rays gives you light. Then I want to talk about holiness for a minute. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. You think, wow. You told them to be holy? Back in the Old Testament, there was an expectation. Anytime God asks us to do something, He empowers us to have that, that working in our lives. And what is holy? What is the definition of holy? To be set apart, dedicated to, sacred, to a sacred purpose. That goes a lot along with us discovering our measure, recognizing what God's put in us and what he wants us to use so that we can exercise those things, so we can stretch them and expand them and see them being fulfilled in our lives to a world who needs our gifts and needs our measure. Holy also means clean, morally pure, ceremonially, born again, water baptism today. It's not just some ritual. It's a work of God done by the Holy Spirit when we submit as in obedience to God. There's a work of the Holy Spirit that creates a holiness in our life. We're all aware of our weaknesses. We're all aware of places where we slip, maybe even language that we use. It is the Holy Spirit, though, is working the holiness. Being just denying those things is not going to take care of them, but bringing them into the light, surrendering to the Lord and asking Him to change us. Being willing to forgive is how God is going to create that holiness inside of us. The verb means to set apart someone for a holy purpose, God's purpose. Holiness is separation from immorality, sins that affect relationships in God who is holy. The priests were... Uh, able to, to distinguish holy from unholy. They had discernment. It's because they were call that was on their life. It was part of their gifting to be able to judge and, and help the people. Strong's definition of holy is sacred and pure, blameless, consecrated. Just like we did a few weeks ago in child dedication. Parents said, you know, I want my kids. I want them to be blessed. I want them to know Christ. So I'm dedicating them and I'm dedicating myself to be able to bring them up so they hear the Word of God. They're in church. They're hearing worship. They're being adapted to the spiritual dynamic that happens when we gather together in a church service. In Romans 5, 5, it says, 
that God's love is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. When the love of God is overwhelming us, we can forgive. Obviously, there was, there was a love of God going on in Joseph's heart for him to be able to weep over his brothers, for him to be able to move past what they had done to him and let the love that he had, the natural love uh, of brothers, overcome what they had done to him. And to be able to recognize also that they had a, they had a sorrow of what they had done. What they had done, they had carried it in their own hearts for 15 years. You might be the one to make a step to make amends or to extend forgiveness. You might be one who has forgiveness happen in your heart, and so you extend it to someone. Whoever does it first, there's the ideal. You know, go to someone if they're offended you and work it out. But if you can get whatever you need to get right in your heart and then start letting the love of God come out, it's going to bring more healing. It's easy to look at each other and be affected by personalities, temperaments, and maybe put walls up because, again, we're being triggered by each other. But it's another thing to go past those impressions or feelings or whatever the Satan's trying to use and give love to each other, give acceptance, give appreciation, give value. That's how we are uh, breaking down our walls. That's how we're learning to grow in trust. And that's how our measure of who we are is going to be used in this body to bring more healing and more of God's presence. Confession and surrender, the renouncing of sin. 1 John 1, 9, an incredible promise for every Christian, especially every new Christian. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and He's just. He's true to His own nature and His promises and will forgive our sins. He will dismiss our lawlessness and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything not in conformity to his will and purpose, thought, and act or action. Again, holy definition. Set apart for God. Reserved for God and his service. You know, he's done so much for us by giving us eternal, eternal life. He continually cleanses us and forgives us of our sins when we confess them. What a motivation to find out what else he wants to do in our lives. What other gifts are in us that he wants to activate to set us free and to set other people free, to give us an excitement about we are partnering with God and using what he's giving us. Something that's going to far outlast everything. Nothing polluted can be holy. Purity becomes a big part in being holy. A holy God calls for a holy people. He calls them to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 echoes the Leviticus scripture. Peter wrote, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Again, it's walking in fellowship, walking in relationship, walking in the light of your conscience, walking in the light of what God's saying to you. Again, we can be under condemnation and feel guilt. That's not what he's asking. He's just saying, own what you're seeing and confess it so you're walking in that holiness. It's something, again, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you have to do. Many of you need to have a revelation today that you're holy, but it's not about how you're trying to do things better or, or tomorrow you're going to do things better, but it's on the power of the Holy Spirit granted to you because you're his kids and you accepted Jesus Christ. That's the work of holiness. It's faith in Christ, faith in what he's doing. 
we must continue to submit to holy the Holy Spirit's work of holiness. Awesome, huh? A Holy Spirit is working a holy work inside of us. Check on your thoughts. Again, the war in the mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I had that image of seeing, you know, a really good catcher connected with his pitcher. Boom! That ball's coming in 100 miles an hour, and that catcher's boom! He's got that ball right in his mitt. And I think of the thoughts that Satan tries to fire at us and just allowing the Holy Spirit to grab those thoughts and throw them down. Just like the catcher hits that fastball, catches it right in the mitt. God wants to give us the ability to cast down those imaginations and thoughts. Why? Because they cause uh, and create a feeling of unholiness. They create doubt and unbelief. They create out uh, create those dirty, uncomfortable feelings that cause us to separate from the body, cause us to separate from what God wants us to do. But when we walk in that place where we're casting down those, those imaginations and those thoughts that are coming against us, we bring the reality of who Jesus Christ is. You know, last week we talked about God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, until the end of the age, I am with you. So we have that great commitment. We've got to walk in the reality of that commitment despite what thoughts are being fired at us and what feelings those thoughts incur over us, feeling like I'm dirty, I'm sin, I'm unholy, I might as well just stop everything. And that's what the enemy is trying to do. The spirit of this age, this perverse age, is full of demonic activity that's trying to arrest us as Christians in the, into the thoughts that we're supposed to be thinking about God, into the reality of who we are and what our mission and what our purpose is for. I had on my heart uh, a really big this week about Luke 11, 2. Pray to the Father. You know, Jesus reminds us we've got to keep the forefront this simple prayer. And you don't have to read it religiously, but it's the reality of what this prayer means. Honor the Lord's name. Honor God the Father's name. Honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Luke 2, out of the Amplified, Jesus said to his disciples, When you pray, say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Held holy and reverent on earth as it is in heaven. Again, that prayer, again, is coming against the temporal realities and the doubts and feelings that come around and along with this temporal reality and bringing that confidence that God's kingdom now is right now, right now in this room, God's kingdom is on our life. God's kingdom is wanting to operate in our life. Why? So that when we walk out that door, we're walking in a confidence that God is with us and God's kingdom is being manifested in my life right now at this very moment in whatever's going to face me or come my way, that God is going to give me the wisdom and the strength to stand against it or to represent God in a way that's going to cause me to overcome. And hopefully it's going to affect someone else that I'm going to interact with. Again, today, this is, uh, I feel like, a hot scripture for us. Ask for the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus is talking to me, even an evil father is going to give the best he can to his kids. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, gifts that are to their advantage. To your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask 
and continue to ask him. And Jesus in this section is encouraging people not to stop asking. But I think of all the things that we need, and we could probably go spend the, the whole hour uh, talking to each person what they need. And Jesus is saying the most important thing that we need to ask for from our Heavenly Father is the Holy Spirit. We constantly need the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He is God on duty right now on the earth. He is God. If I've asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, He is the one. The Holy Spirit is now on me. When I'm doing everything I know how to do, and I feel so disconnected with God, there are times when our, we're, we're totally living exactly how we're supposed to be living. We are walking in the light, but our spirit can feel so away from God. That is when we need the confidence to ask, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. God, fill me with this confidence. I'm not feeling anything. I'm feeling like I'm drifting from you. Lord, it's what you said. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I may not understand it, but Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to recognize, help me to see you. Help me to see you right now in this moment when I feel drained, when I feel tired, when I feel I have nothing but problems facing me, when I have nothing but opposition. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And when we begin to pray like that, we begin to talk, our confidence level begins to rise because our spiritual level begins to be filled up. The Holy Spirit begins to fill and tank us up so that our confidence, again, is in God, not our feelings and not our, our doubts about what's going on around us. God, fill us with the Holy Spirit today. I just pray for us here at Hillside. You said, Lord, that we should keep asking our Father in heaven, oh God, our Heavenly Father, who gave Jesus and gave us the Holy Spirit in this, de in this time, in this age, in this season, since you went to heaven, Jesus. We're praying that you would outpour yourself upon us today. Let each of us have a new um, aspect of understanding of who you are. Let us recognize you. Let us see you with our conscience today. Lord, fill us to overflowing in Jesus' name. Some of you uh, get affected by maybe someone who, who you've lost. The fear of death. In Psalms 116.15, it says, Precious, important, and no light matter in the sight of the Lord is the death of those saints, his, his, live, his loving ones. Death is something we all face. It comes around our families. We're all going to die. But when you realize God is in control, that God's going to bring you out, when you look at Psalms 23 and realize, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is going to walk us out of those desperate, terrible times that we go through. But also realizing just the reality of death, we can understand that we it's so important for us to get a hold of our measure, what our purpose is, and to exercise our efforts being led by the Holy Spirit to use those gifts and use those abilities so that we redeem our time. If you were to look at John 17, 4, when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he tells the Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. What a powerful thing to fulfill what God has for us, not being distracted. And I think that's the thing. We're constantly looking at what's distracting us from fulfilling God's purposes in our life, from what's robbing us of a relationship that is comforting, that is powerful, 
that is one that's constantly inputting wisdom to us on how we should live. Our key verse is um, Psalms 39.4. Lord, make me to know my end and to appreciate the measure of my days, what it is. Let me know and realize how frail I am, how transient is my state here. Maybe the worship team could come. I don't mean this to be morbid or sad, but just, again, to help us look at our priorities, to seek out and pray as we pray for other things, asking God, Lord, cause my gifts, cause my purposes that you have called me for in Christ to begin to surface and rise up. God calls me to find myself right in the center of what you have me to do and what you want me to do. And let me become fruitful in my service towards you. In um, John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus' prayer for us and his disciples at that time. He says to the Father, I do not pray for those alone, talking about his disciples, but for those who will believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and that the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. And that glory was the impartation of their gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit to exercise those gifts. And so as they ministered their gift, the people around them saw that glory. They saw the evidence. There is great glory for each one of you and on each one of you, but God wants you to exercise that glory. And when, you, when that glory comes out, when you're using your gift, other people are affected and they see the glory of God. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as, I have, as you have loved me. Again, that whole emphasis again that he wants us to be one. He wants us to be able to use our gifts and our abilities and our talents. But we must allow our hearts to become one. We must learn how to trust. Will you stand? For the next closing minutes, if you need prayer or you want to accept Christ, just come up. People will pray with you. Lord, we just thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you are working in us. And I pray you just lift off the heaviness, Lord, of the times that we live in. Lord, the heaviness that would mask over our heart and our connection with you. And Lord, the reality of your love for us, the reality that you're the one that makes it safe for us to restore step by step with those who you want us to restore with, that you are the one rebuilding trust, that you are the one who guards over our heart, that you are the one who's reconciling things. You're the ones restoring us from our past, past hurts and places where our heart and our soul are shut down. And I ask today that there would be an incredible experience for each one in what you want to do to bring healing and trust and safety, and that each person here, Lord, would feel 
the growth in their spiritual life, would be excited about the things that are awakening in their heart that you've put on them to do, that they might experience you in your fullness. And God, we just ask it in Jesus' name.